Welcome into the Utah Preps Zone, your podcast focused on Utah high school football and Utah high school sports in general. I'm Jay Catch, your host here. Well, we're brought to you, I guess I should start off by John Watson Chevrolet up there in Ogden, but I am flanked by my fearless co-host, Sean Walker. Sean, how are you? Jacob, I feel like it's been a long time since we saw each other. In fact, how many days did I spend thinking about how you did me wrong, 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 lived in the shade you were throwing till all my sunshine was gone, 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 and couldn't get away I see from what you in my feelings more than Drake. So your name on my lips, tongue-tied, free rent, living in my mind. But then something happened one magical night. Oh, God. I forgot that you existed, and I thought that it would kill me, but it didn't. Shout out to T-Swizzle. I'm happy to join you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Okay, that actually kind of works, though, because like, Taylor Swift is all the rage at the high school level these days, isn't she? Have you, have you listened to her new album? It is fire. I, I want to give a shout-out to Taylor Swift's Love, um, the official the official song or uh, album of the Utah Prep Zone podcast. Sure, we'll go with that for the time being to like Drake or somebody else drops an album and we decide to make that the official album. T-Swift, make us an offer. We, yeah. we can be a lot. Absolutely. Well, Sean, of course, this is a podcast focused on all things high school sports, but we mainly focus on and football Taylor Swift. and Taylor Swift. Absolutely. But uh, let's look back at week two in Utah high school football. You were out at Cedar Valley. You're doing your new school tour is what you've termed it on, on social media, it appears. And you were out at Cedar Valley for their game against Spanish Fork. What were your impressions of the Aviators? Uh, that's a really nice school. Have you been out there? I know that's your neck of the woods. Your your kids are going to go there in like a year or two. No. So they are actually Westlake bound if we stay in that area because that's where we're kind of traffic to. But of course, open enrollment, you could do it. We drove out there as it was being built. We'd drive by every so often and watch it being built. And I kept thinking, I'm like, this school is going to be expansive and it's going to be pretty sweet once it's done. Yeah, they are sparing no expense out there on Aviator Boulevard. It's really, really nice. Got a couple of extra grants and I was talking with the principal there who's a former pilot herself. Oh, she is a pilot. the Aviator okay. name and motif. Um, and uh, yeah, and and, uh, and uh, their principal out there wants everybody to be super involved with kind of this aviation setup and theme and mm-hmm. try to get kids into into the airline industry, whether it's as pilots or uh, or even like flight attendants or airplane mechanics or, or air traffic controllers, that kind of thing. Um, so she actually brought in all sorts of grant money and scholarship money and whatnot from big companies. Sky okay. West was one of them, but JetBlue also, also donated a bunch really? of money and, okay. and just several... Um, several airline companies brought in a whole bunch of money to try to kind of build up this motif and, and build up the STEM education program because you've got to have STEM in yes. order to work in aviation. Yeah. It's very math math intensive. <laughs> um, and uh, and it's, it's paying off so far because this was, I mean, this was one of the nicer fields I've been to. Uh, in my time covering prep sports in Utah, the school itself certainly spared no expenses. There is an actual life-size uh, replica of a Boeing 747 in the Commons. You've got to be kidding! Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. Wow! Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's it's really really nice uh, on the field. I think Cedar Valley is going to eventually be pretty good, but they're they're pretty young and pretty raw and for about a half a football they hung in with Spanish Fork pretty well did. which is pretty good at that level mm-hmm. uh, Spanish Fork I think is quietly going to be a bit of a contender 
uh, in 4A. And then the Dons came out and scored four touchdowns in the first six minutes of the third quarter and quietly <laughs> and slowly crawled their way away to a big, big win. Well, uh, I, I'm glad to hear that the the school itself is pretty expansive. It's like any other new school. We talked about this last week with Mike Mifu. It It's tough to get a program off the ground. And, uh, and that, pardon the pun there with the aviators and everything, but it's... You look at it, and I think that they've shown some good things because they went to Maple Mountain and had that furious rally in the mm-hmm. fourth quarter of week one and showed some good things. So if you were to ask me to kind of gauge which of the four new schools is the best and most competitive right now, it's pretty clearly it's, it's Cedar Valley. Yeah, Cedar Valley's actually played two really good halves of football. Um, they just haven't come in the same game so far. Their second half rally against Maple Mountain after after the Golden Eagles got up really, really big early, uh, was obviously something for the ages before Maple Mountain obviously held on for that mm-hmm. win. Um, and then their first half against Spanish Fork was very impressive. They were just flying to the ball defensively, uh, just getting their hands on footballs, forcing turnovers after turnover after turnover, shot themselves in the foot a couple of times offensively, yes. but held Spanish Fork to seven points at halftime, which is no small feat um, for that for that Don offense. Um, and so if you combine those two halves of football, I think you could have a pretty good team here um, in Cedar Valley. It's just unfortunate, obviously, that it came in two separate games. But they're getting there, they're building, they're learning bit by bit. And I think by the end of the season, you're going to see this. I, I'm not saying Cedar Valley is going to go and light the world on fire, but I think they're going to be pretty good once they put it all together and, and figure out how to gel as a unit and, and, and bring kind of the pieces that they have um, together into a team. And can I give one shout-out? I want to give one shout-out to Cedar Valley. Absolutely. Go ahead. Um, that's uh, Jackson Dastrup. Not Jackson Hooley, their quarterback, but Jackson Dastrup. He's uh, kind of a slot back, running back, wide receiver type. Scored the first home, home touchdown. Okay. In Cedar Valley history, uh, 16-yard pass from Hooley. Um, great kid, great interview. And uh, he, uh, he mentioned to me that even if they don't win a game all year, this new school has absolutely been worth it because of just the overcrowding at Westlake. Oh, where yeah. It would take them about 30 minutes to drive to school and then another 30 minutes of driving around the parking lot to, to find somewhere to leave their car all day. <laughs> and that's if they couldn't find something at the – uh, neighboring middle school. Yeah, I, I can't remember bad. the name of the middle school right next door, but uh, Frontier. Frontier. Right? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, uh, yeah. So there are just so many kids there that he said, even if they don't win a game all year, um, it making the move over to Cedar Valley is still worth it. There you go. All right, Sean. Uh, let's talk about some of the other games that happened. What else were your impressions from Week Two? Any games that stood out to you? Any results, players, etc. Um, I want to get into this one a little bit with our featured guests who I'll tease right now without actually saying who it is. Um, but let's give a shout out to Ben Lomond. Okay. 24 straight losses. Mm -hmm. Um, and they were so close, so close to getting that win this week. Uh, Taylor Pinkerton with a 24 yard run with 120 left in the fourth quarter. Um, has Ben Lomond on top of American Leadership Academy at home. And then Jacob Nagus leads a rally for the ages, throws a 10-yard touchdown pass. I think it's his. it was his fourth of the game, third, third okay. of the game. Um, and ALA hangs on by the skin of their teeth, 31-27. to 27. <laughs> 
but so close, Jake. So oh, close. Yeah. Absolutely. They 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 played their hearts out and you can tell this is a team that's going to be more competitive this year. I just wonder when they're finally going to break through because I saw that I saw a tweet from that saying, "Hey, they'd taken the lead." I'm like, "Sweet, okay, they're going to break this streak." And yeah, just heartbreaking fashion they go down. So uh, we're going to have a guest on. I'm going to tease him right now, anyways. I'm just going to do it. Patrick Carr from the Standard Examiner up there in Ogden, guy who is very familiar with Northern Utah football, particularly programs like Ben Lomond. Excited to get his thoughts on that. It'll be coming up in the second segment of today's show. Uh, Sean, I wanted to talk about a couple of games myself. Uh, let's start off with this. Orem High School, should we read into the fact that they absolutely got stomped by Bishop Gorman? Or is Bishop Gorman just that good that you just you take your lumps and say, let's move on and get ready for the next game? I, this is an Orem team that was actually very competitive with Gorman last year. Correct. And so I don't know if this this result of 40-7 to loss in Las Vegas is indicative of Orem as a whole or if it's simply... Um, states the matter that they're no longer playing with Puka Nakua. Correct. They no longer have Cooper Laga. For the time being, they don't have Noah Sewell, mm-hmm. um, who uh, has been in a walking boot. Correct. Um, and, uh, yeah, Gorman jumps out to a 27 and nothing halftime lead and just kind of does what Gorman does. They're a national power for a yeah. reason. Uh, I think this is a good thing for the Tigers mm-hmm. overall to go down and, and – get beat very well and, and very very handily, uh, especially before region play, because their region play is going to be an absolute gauntlet, and they're going to need to know how to come back from games probably. Um, and they've shown that a little bit in their first two weeks, first going up to Corner Canyon and in a much tighter loss than I think a lot of people expected, yes. um, and then getting curb stomped by, by Bishop Borman. So do I read much into the final score? Not necessarily. Um, but I, I do think that I do think that this zero and two start by the Tigers is is going to be something that fuels them for the rest of the year, and in particular when Noah Sewell finally comes back and gets healthy. I agree with you in that regard. I think it'll be a wake up call for him because, like you said, Bishop Gorman is just so good. But this is this is a different Orem team, that's for sure. All right, Sean, some other results that surprised me. We talked about this right before we turned on the recorder. Talk about Timpview, 0-2 to start a season for the first time since 2012, according to what we looked up. That's pretty stunning. They went to American Fork, and I think the cavemen really delivered a message to the rest of their region and their division saying, guess what? We're not to be messed with. Yeah, and first time they started a season 0-2 since well before 2012. In fact, that 2012 season was the one where they fielded an oh, retroactive, player, yeah. and they had to forfeit uh, several games at the start of the year. They did start with a 33-31 loss to Alta, so they were 0-1, okay. um, and then they retroactively. they retroactively gave up a whole bunch of losses there as well. So officially in the record books, however, it is their worst, lo- or their worst start to the year since 2012. Um, we should mention that, but can we look at the other side really quick? Um, American Fork is really good. Yes. And I know a lot of people weren't expecting that. We're two weeks into the season, so we're probably overreacting to some early results. That's just simply what we do. Um, but I don't think a lot of people expected AF to be exactly what they are this year in a year where they were breaking in a new quarterback. Mm-hmm. Boone Abbott's gone on to the Division One level in Hawaii. Uh, they're breaking in a new all-star wide receiver, simply reloading at that position. I mean... Mm-hmm. Sorry, Chase Roberts, but you've been replaced. Uh, I know BYU fans are going to love hearing that. But uh, uh, Maddox Madsen, Devin Downing, 
Um, you've Tanner got ja- Holden. Yeah, Tanner Holden. Yep, you've got Jackson Gregory. I mean, there are still some dudes here with the cavemen. Uh, and AF is proving they're still going to be a force and a contender in this revamped Region 4, I think. Well, it's kind of funny. You go from Boone Abbott, which is one of the all-name teams last year, to Maddox Madsen. That's another all-name all name team nominee for quarterback. But he tossed five touchdown passes, four of them going to Tanner Holden in that blowout win over Tint View. And I really do think it served notice uh, to the rest of 5A and 6A that, guess what? We're American Fork, and we're 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 not we didn't we're not rebuilding. We reloaded. And we're ready to go. I think that's a big time result there. All right, Region, Sean. Region Four is going to be so much fun oh, this year. It's going to be just man, going to be all over the place. All right, um, one other game from me, and I'll let you kind of weigh in with any other games you thought that were impressed you, but. Um, I thought it was impressive to see Lone Peak really go and take care of business at Jordan. Uh, Lone Peak, of course, expected to contend once again for the 6A title, the defending state champions. But I wondered how they'd prefer against a team like Jordan who can score points in their all right, but they just went up and took care of business 38-13. to 13. Yeah, I, I expected a little bit more out of this game. This, for anybody who talked to me earlier in the week, I think I touched on it a little bit in last week's podcast. I thought this would be one of the best games of the week. It was a televised game. Correct. So obviously there were other people who thought um, thought about as much. Um, maybe just as surprising as the margin of victory in this one, again, 38 to 13 Lone Peak over Jordan Mm -hmm. is the way Lone Peak took care of business. I mean, JD, JD Nealman just went and balled out at quarterback flat out one, two, three, four and a half touchdown passes. There set up another one that was eventually turned into, I think it was like a four yard run or something like that. Um, but uh, just absolutely ball out. Sean Wood was really, really good on offense um, at receiver. They uh, they had a kid. Uh, let me. What was his name? Matt Ross at running yeah. back, um, who had himself a nice game. But Nealman, two hundred thirteen yards passing, uh, thirteen of seventeen completions. Didn't even play for a lot of the second half, or at least the fourth quarter. Um, I think it was when they pulled it. Yeah, it was the fourth quarter. Correct. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, Trajan Hansen, Hansen Takao, uh, Max Trowbridge, I think I mentioned him, Sean Wood going over the century mark and receiving. This is a team that's very well-rounded. It's not just Nate Ritchie and everybody else. Um, Lone Peak's going to be a contender, not just in, uh, for a region title, but potentially for a state title this year, I think. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Sean, any other games you'd like to weigh in on? Before we take a timeout. You know I love me some Region 9 action. Okay. So I'm going to give a shout-out to Region 9, uh, in particular Dixie. Okay, I thought you might go there. Dixie hosting Roy mm-hmm. uh, 41-21. to Can we play a boat race sound right now? Well, and the funny thing is this <laughs> game, I know the final margin is a 20-point win for Dixie, but this is actually quite the competitive game early on, if that makes sense. Uh, Dixie pulled away late to make it more, look more lopsided than it was, but all the same, Sean, with this new RPI system, that's a very quality win for the Flyers. Yeah, 28 points in the second quarter from from uh, this Dixie team. And if you don't know the name now, get to know it, because you're going to want to know this name by the end of the year. Reggie Graft, Dixie quarterback, threw for 222 yards and two touchdowns um, for the Flyers. And... Uh, and then uh, I think Trey Simmons was on the other end. Yeah, Trey Simmons was on the other end of both of those touchdown passes. Um, 
had another uh Graf had another two more running the football as well. But this this is a team that until further notice which again could come next week because this is Utah high school football and who knows mm-hmm. what happens. Yeah. But until further notice, I think Dixie might be the team to beat in class 4A. Probably. I would agree with you in that regard. I, I think there's some other teams that have had surprising starts, but none of look as dominant as Dixie has. All right, Sean. Well, let's take a time out here. We'll come back. We're going to talk with Patrick Carr. He covers prep sports for the Standard Examiner and Ogden. Get his thoughts on Northern Utah high school football. We'll also make sure to highlight our Northern Utah high school football player of the week for week two. Going with another quarterback. We'll talk about that next right here on the Utah Preps Zone. Prep Zone podcast. Uh, this segment is sponsored by our good friends up at uh, John Watson Chevrolet. If you're looking for a Chevy in Utah County, hit them up. Not really, Utah County, Weaver Utah, County, in Weaver County, anywhere along the Wasatch in Front, Northern really. Utah, really. Wasatch Front, period. Um, yeah, hit them up. And uh, joining us now, live on the John Watson Hotline, oh, is I, a, I like Chevy, it. a Chevy driver himself, I think. Um, <laughs> Standard examiner, prep sports writer, and longtime contributor to GoAztecs.com. That's the one and only Patrick Carr. Patrick, thanks so much for joining us for a couple of minutes to talk high school football here, man. Thank you for having me on, Sean and Jake. And just to clarify, I am not a contributor to GoAztecs.com. That is uh, that's the official San Diego State Athletics website and uh I am not a contributor to that. I am a contributor, however, to spicy San Diego State football and basketball takes on my Twitter profile. Well, there There's you go. That. Follow Pat. You can follow Patrick on Twitter at Patrick Carr. That's Carr with two R's and an underscore. Um, don't forget the underscore. Otherwise, it links you to some weird guy in Ohio. Uh, <laughs> some, some guy who hasn't tweeted in like five years. Don't you love that? People parked on a handle that you would like to have. Yeah, tell me I about would it. really love to have that handle, but I don't have enough money saved up to offer that guy the right amount of money. Anyway. Fair enough. Well, Patrick, I guess first thing from me, at least, is we're now entering week three of the prep season. Uh, Northern Utah Region 1 will begin region play this week. What have been kind of your overall impressions of the first two weeks of prep football? With Region 1 so far, the non-region record kind of speaks for itself. Uh, the eight Region 1 teams are combined 5-11. and 11. They went 1-7 and seven last week. They've played some pretty good teams in non-region play, but some of the programs that a lot of people thought were going to be really spectacular out of the gate, Roy, Fremont. Uh, Roy and Fremont are one and three combined. Fremont's lost both its games. Roy's one and one. They lost by 20 to Dixie last Friday. So at this point, the team, a lot of the teams that a lot of people thought were going to be good haven't really come out of the gate too fast. So it is, there's still a lot of question marks in my opinion. I think maybe the only team that isn't a huge question mark is Weber because Weber has more than half their team back. They've got most of their coaches back. 
they put up a good showing against Bingham in week one and then shut out Bountiful last week. And I think they're sort of right where you thought, right where they should be, maybe. But as far as the rest of the region, a lot of question marks, but obviously not a good non-region start so far. Yeah, let's let's keep going there with I I think inarguably the team to beat in Region One is the are the defending champs in Weber uh, Warriors keep rolling and I use that term loosely obviously with with kind of the slow start to Region One play but but they're they're simply reloading I think under a new head coach and a little bit of a new offense um, a lot of the same players back though so maybe that's a little bit easier they open up Region One play this week on the road at Clearfield. Um, where where is maybe the trickiest landmine for this Weaver team as they try to try to contend for another Region One title? Hmm. That's a good good question. Uh, how would you define landmine? I mean, actually? I mean the, the 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 other team, maybe the place where the, where they slip up the most. They got road games against Clearfield, Northridge, um, at Fremont, at Roy could be really tricky. Obviously, that that's end of a the season. brutal road schedule. Yeah, yes. right. Exactly. Um, that's. I think any one of those last three road games are probably your most likely because you have Northridge at home, and that's on September thirteenth. So that's you know two three weeks away. That's going to be a really, really tricky game. And then, obviously, at Fremont two weeks later on a Thursday night, and that's at Fremont, and that game has decided the region title two years in a row. You can bet Fremont is going to want to win that game with you know every ounce of their existence. And then they're at Roy. I think that's the last region game. Either one of those three is you know a potential landmine. Um, I think your two obvious ones are the – county rivalries and Roy and Fremont. But I think right now I'm going to go with Northridge because that's going to be a really, that's going to be a second consecutive big test of can Weaver cover a dual threat quarterback? Northridge has a good dual threat quarterback, Colby Browning. And can they cover a really, really good wide receiver, Otto Tia? They're going to face Syracuse the week before. Syracuse also has a good dual threat quarterback and has two really good receivers but you are going to take the quality step up a little bit with Northridge the next week. And it's going to be at Northridge. And that's going to be one. I think that that's, that's going to be really, really tricky. I mean, they're all tricky, but that at that point, I think that will be their trickiest. Wanted to talk to you for a minute about um, Ogden, of course. uh, So Jace Holt, I, I do the, John Watson Northern High School Football the Player of the Week Award for the Zone Sports Network. I, I picked the guy, and I picked Jace Holt as the first week uh, winner of that. He goes into this game up at Morgan for Ogden, gets injured, and then Morgan just dispatches Ogden like they're nothing. Should we read into that that Morgan's really, really good, or was this just an off night for Ogden? I think you should read into it that Morgan is really good. However... Uh, I think you have to look into the details a little bit more. When they went to Grand County in their first game and they won 51 to nothing, Grand County, Morgan's athletic director was telling me that Grand County, I think, had about 30 kids okay. on the football team. Morgan High fielded, four, they dressed 46 kids last Friday night. And of those 46, there were, I think, one or two sophomores. And that's for a 3A school dressing, you know, 40-something juniors and seniors, which is impressive. Mm-hmm. 
their numbers are huge. Yeah, that, those are like and 5A numbers right there. Yeah, and they're facing teams that that really struggle with numbers. Ogden struggles with numbers. They had 53 kids dressed on Friday night, but a lot of those kids were freshmen and sophomores. I mean, Ogden struggles with numbers. Ben Lomond, who Morgan's going to play this week, they struggle with numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, Ogden is, you know, sort of in a weird weird spot where they thumped Judge Memorial the week before and then obviously faced a much, much, much better defense. And they just got destroyed up front. And Morgan kind of cruised from there, really dominated defensively. So I think you should read into it that, yes, Morgan is very good. And as far as an off night from Ogden, they just had a hard time even, you know, getting off the ground. I'm glad you mentioned teams that struggle with numbers a little bit there, and you bring up Ben Lomond um, as one of those. But, Patrick, your fighting Scots were so close to snapping there. I think it was a 24-game losing streak this past weekend um, against American Leadership Academy. Eventually, they fall 31-27 to in agonizing fashion. Uh, Somebody from the stands was periscoping this, and I watched that final drive, and it was like a gut punch every single play as ALA went down down the field. So, staying up in that neck of the woods, and I know how much you love those small schools in Ogden. (laughs) Can Ben Lomond snap their losing streak this year with the rest of their schedule that they've got on deck? Put you on the spot a little bit, I know, but... There are three... their three best chances are against Cedar Valley. And that is only because Cedar Valley is a brand new school and you sort of don't know what's going to happen week to week. Yep. Friday, September 13th, that one. Yep. Cedar Valley, um, October 10th, Thursday against Uinta. I can't remember if that's home or away, but I mean, we've seen Uinta's struggles last year and then this year they're off to an O and two start a little more competitive so far out of the gate this year. So then again, that game's in late or mid-October, late in the season. So Uinta might be cruising at that point, and Ben Lohman might not be, so who knows. And then, obviously, the Iron Horse, uh, Wednesday, October 16th, at Weber State against Ogden. You could, I mean, with that game, you could have a winless Ben Lohman team and an undefeated Ogden team in a theoretical world, and Ben Lohman would still have a chance to win. So I think those are their three best chances. Do they win a game this year? I don't know. That is that's hard to figure out. I will say this. The amount that they improved from week one to week two was huge. Absolutely huge. So there's some encouraging signs in that department, but it'll be tough. Uh, I agree with you. I think uh, so. Looking at them, Ben Lohman, they're going to be running and they're running a new system. But I think you're right. I think the competitive factor, the competitiveness factor that they've had the last two weeks, bodes mm-hmm. well for them. I'm I'm hopeful. I've been rooting for them. That, so I I've been doing different things, covering high school sports for the zone for, for what five years now. And mm-hmm. we started doing this when Ogden was going through their struggles. They had a lengthy losing streak in their own right, and we actually yep. we actually adopted Ogden as like our our team of the week each week, rooting for them to win. In. And it, it took I think, over a year for us to finally break through and finally win that game. But I think it's just a matter of once the I think once Ben Loman wins a game, oh yeah, I think it changes yeah. everything for them. Absolutely, I I one hundred percent agree. And 
they have something working in their favor, and that is that they run a triple option. Correct. And, and you know, I was talking to people around the team and whatnot who went to their first game at Payson, and they said the triple option in that first game was just it, it, they couldn't do anything right. You know, the mesh points were off. There were a lot of miscommunications, whatnot, and a lot of that you can expect with being the first game. And then the difference from the first game to the second game in terms of, you know, the execution of the triple option was just leaps and bounds. So, and, you know, most teams now run spread. And so if you got to go spread, 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 oh, we got to face a triple option team now. Like, okay, you got to think about that. You got to be a little more disciplined when you play about, when you play against it. And that's why Stansberry has been so good for, correct you know, just several years because they run, they ran that triple option and they ran it well. And they, they would just run all over you and it was tough to defend and you can't really get a beat on it. It's a hard offense to defend if the offense is executed well. Patrick, we started off with uh, class six, a in region one, we dropped down to four, a, a little bit, obviously with, with mm-hmm. Ogden and, and uh, Ben Lohman and whatnot teams that you're very well acquainted with. So let's end a little bit on five, a here. Um, and I've got just really one question out of region five for you. Is Farmington really as good as her 2-0 record suggests, or is it simply a matter of scheduling uh, facing uh, Tempanogos and Syracuse in the first two weeks of the season? I think they're legit. I really do. <laughs> um, and, here's, and here's why. They, when they line up on offense, they have like five or six really, really good skill players and a really good quarterback and an offensive line that does its job. So you have to have five, six equally good defensive backs, linebackers, et cetera, to properly cover all of their skill players. But, I mean, their skill guys are just so fantastic in open space or getting getting open, breaking tackles, what, what have you. I, I think they're legit. They've got a pretty good test this week against Ridgeline. Ridgeline's 2-0. That'll be... <clears throat> That'll be interesting to watch. Um, obviously, Farmington has got so many more kids than Ridgeline, so you might have to think that Farmington would win that game. If they get through this, then the game we're obviously all going to be looking for is when Farmington plays Lone Peak. Yeah. Um, first, week, first Friday of September, I mean, I mean, good heavens. That could be an incredible game between two really good teams. So I, right now, Farmington's impressed me a lot. Because um, Syracuse, like, yeah, Syracuse is one and one, but you know Syracuse isn't a pushover. They've got a really good dual threat quarterback named Bridger Hamblin, and they've got two really good receivers, Sam Adams uh, and Ty Burke, who are tough to defend. And Farmington shut them down in the second half. They didn't allow any points against Syracuse in the second half. So I think that was a pretty good win. By uh, it was twenty one points they beat Syracuse by. So I think they're legit. I really do. All right, Patrick, we'll get you out on this. Um, we've talked about a, diff- a number of different teams up in your neck of the woods up there. Is there a team that through the first two weeks you feel like we've overlooked that might be poised to break out or just is off to a tough start? Ooh. That's a good question. We're giving you a chance to call us out here. <laughs> <laughs> or really just call anybody out. That um, too, yes. Okay, I'll, I'll say this. I'm not, I'm getting a sense from a lot of people that Weber High is getting slept on. 
And I'm just not convinced that it's the time to sleep on Weber High right now. And here's why. Sure, their head coach left, Matt Hammer, to go coach at Weber State. Mm -hmm. Sure, they graduated some really integral players. However, their their whole offensive line is back. Well, pretty much their whole offensive line is back from last year. They have, you're going to notice the theme here, a really good dual-threat quarterback. That's kind of a thing in Region 1, dual-threat yeah. quarterback. They have a really good dual-threat quarterback who had something like a 5-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio last year. Um, they've got two starting linebackers back and a really solid defensive line. But more importantly, they still have their defensive coordinator, Billy Plume. And I calculated this a few minutes ago. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. In their, in, and they've won 12 region games in a row, won the region title two years in a row by going undefeated. In that span, they've given up 5.75 points per game. Wow. Against region teams. Yeah, I know. And, you know, so with all the circumstances, more than half the team back, you know, 90% of the coaching staff back, two-time defending champion, I just – I don't see really any reason to sleep on Weber High right now. I, I just don't. All right. Well, we'll be keeping our eyes on, on Weber for sure. That's an impressive yeah. stat right there. Well, Patrick, we can't thank you enough for joining us here on Utah Preps Zone. We will do it again soon, okay? Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you, Patrick. And uh, go uh, it- – once again, if anybody wants to follow the uh, greatest high school football coverage in the <laughs> northern Utah area, basically anything outside of Utah and Salt Lake County, really, uh, that's at Patrick Carr, two R's, one underscore on Twitter um, and Facebook, Instagram. Are you on a, You're not on Instagram. Never mind. Um, I have a private Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no Instagram there. Just just Twitter at Patrick Carr. Thanks again for joining us, man. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. There you go. Patrick Carr from Standard Examiner, and he is going to be a regular on this show. I can tell you that much, Sean. Uh, yeah, he's my favorite San Diego State graduate since uh, Kawhi Leonard. Oh, look so, at you go. Look at you buttering him up. So shout out to Patrick Carr. Um, any of y'all, if you're interested in uh, high school football, anything, uh, we'll say bountiful-ish and northward, standard.net is the website. Patrick Carr, two R's and an underscore on Twitter right there. Uh, him and Brett do a great job. They do. Covering high school football um, north of the north point of the mountain. I know a lot of people give us a lot of smack because I'm a Salt Lake County guy. Jake's a Utah County guy. Um, that's where most of the schools in the state um, that we talk about reside, but Patrick Carr, excellent work there on Northern Utah. And, uh, yeah, he's Patrick, you're definitely going to be in the rotation. So keep your phone on you. Yeah, we will do it. All right, Sean, let's take our penultimate time out on the podcast for today. We'll come back, look ahead to what's going on in the rest of high school football around the state here in week three of Utah high school football. That's coming up next right here on the Utah prep zone. <laughs> Welcome back to the Utah Preps Zone. I'm Jay Catch. He is Sean Walker. Sean, final segment here. We're looking ahead to what's going on this week in Utah high school football. Of course, it's all brought to you by our good friends at John Watson Chevrolet up there in Ogden. But of course, we this this podcast doesn't just 
focus on Northern Utah like we did with Patrick Carr last segment. We go all over the state. And I say we start at the bottom of the state this week. Yeah, we gave you a pretty good primer. You guys a pretty good primer on uh, Region 1 football, which gets started up there. Fremont, Roy, Weber, Clearfield, Northridge, Davis, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lane, Syracuse. Let's go down to Washington County, where Region 9 is also opening play this week. And it is opening with a Bang, Jacob C. Hatch. And I'm talking, of course, about Dixie. Once again, I believe the Flyers are, until further notice, the team to beat in Class 4A. But that could change this week because they open Region 9 play at Desert Hills. Yeah, there's another Willstead brother playing quarterback for Desert Hills. And the Thunder have got to be thinking, hey, we got a chance here to upset because they're coming to our house. Of course, Reggie Graff. And Logan Willstead, that should be quite the matchup going back and forth up and down the field. But you're right. Dixie can really assert themselves. I think atop the 4A rankings with a win here. But if Desert Hills pulls a pulls an upset, I guess we call it an upset, minor upset in a way, that would signal, okay, maybe they're not as good as we thought. Yeah, and people are, people are thinking D-Hills, maybe they're not great coming in with this 0-2 record, winless for the first two weeks of the season. This is a team that only lost by six points to Highland in week one. Correct. Six points. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they go on the road to Alta, very tough place to play, and fall 41-28. So they're still, yes, they're still looking for that first win of the season, but they've played some very, very good competition up, to, up till now. Correct. And uh, one other game in Region 9, Sean, that I think has the potential to be a barn burner. It doesn't look like it on paper. I know if you put these two names together, you're looking at it and you're like, what are you talking about, I know you're going here. Pineview Cedar. Yes, you are. McLeod Croton. I think he is the grandson of Gary Croton, who is the offensive coordinator for the Panthers. But Cedar, talk about a, a hot start to the season. They've had a great year so far, and I'm thinking now that they're hosting Pineview on their home field, they got to be thinking, no, we're going to knock off the Panthers here and say we're a player in Region 9. Yeah, possible upset bid, or at the very least, a take-notice bid. I think a win here over Pineview would do a lot in terms of establishing Cedar as one of those top teams in Region 9, and then, by extension, one of the top teams in Class 4A as well. Uh, you mentioned McLeod Croton there, who is a fantastic quarterback in his own right. Um, really had himself a nice game despite the lopsided score last weekend against Highland. Um, but uh, another name for uh, Utah High School football fans to keep an eye on is Reds quarterback Jaron Garrett. Already Correct. with 660 yards passing on the year, averages 20 yards per completion. Five touchdowns with just one interception. In the first two games of the season. Is that good? That's decent. All right. That's decent. Um, Yeah. So pretty traditional type of pocket passer. Really likes to find his targets, but he's doing it at a 64% clip right now. 64.7% clip, if you like decimal points. Mm -hmm. Um, And and this is a kid who, again, if if Cedar is going to come in and make a statement with a win over Pineview, which I think is very possible, it's going to lie a lot on the shoulder or the arm in particular of Jaron Garrett. And by the end of the, by midway through the season, he could be a bit of a household name in Washington and Iron County. Absolutely. We'll see how it all shakes out, but region nine is always competitive, always going back and forth and we'll be sure to track it for you. Sean, some other games going on this week. Well, we have our annual exodus to the North 
meaning teams going across the border to Idaho to play in Holt Arena. The Idaho games. The Idaho games. That's why I call them. Do they have a name for it? I don't even know if they have a name for it. I'm sure they do. It's probably sponsored by somebody up there. But they The play- Idaho games by, sponsored by John Watson Chevrolet? Probably like Idaho f- Potato Farmers of yeah, America probably. or whatever. And they play up at Holt Arena in Pocatello on the campus of Idaho State University. It's actually a pretty cool setup how they do it. You're going to have, uh, I believe, Minico at t- versus Tooele, um, Minico out of Rupert, Idaho. Orem's going to take on Skyline High School out of Idaho. Shelly, which is the Shelly Russets, that's a great nickname right there for mm, a high school. Good one. They're taking on Skyview, and I believe there are two other games on Saturday. I should have pulled this up beforehand, but I'm going to scroll over. Uh, Lehigh versus Century, and then East versus Highland. So there's five Utah teams taking on five Idaho teams. And I think these matchups should be interesting, uh, to say the least. I think Lehigh's got a good opportunity here as well as East, but Highland is is always a power, and Century's been no slouch in their own right out of Idaho recently. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to Skyview and Shelley as well in these uh, in these Idaho games matchups. Um, that's a fun one, and these are two schools that are actually really close to each other, even though they're across the state state line. Correct. They're almost like an intra valley rivalry. It's not quite the same valley, but it's close to it. Preston's about <laughs> as close as you get with being across yeah. the state lines, but yeah. yeah. Um, so so that'll be a lot of fun, and it's it's just it's always good to test yourself against out of state competition. But in particular, I love when Utah and Idaho kind of goes back and forth because these are two two states that kind of get lumped in together Correct. by outsiders nationally. And so just the vying for state supremacy is a lot of fun and maybe a little bit of a uh, taste of what's to come in college football hey. with uh, BYU and its rival, Boise State. That's true. Uh, we do actually have one Idaho game coming to Utah. Uh, Preston is making the short drive across the Cache Valley to play Logan at Utah State on Friday as well. So I guess that's a region six, game, right? Uh, it should count as one. Preston actually, did you not know that? Did you know that Preston actually owns? Um, they played games in a, in Utah high school football for a number of years, and I think they actually own a state title or two in Utah high school football. It's Preston, Idaho. That sounds right. It's Sounds right. George Felt. We need we need to have George on, by the way. I used to have him on some of the other stuff I've done. George is the historian that covers all of high school football around the state. Of course, Felt's facts you find in the local papers. We need to have George on at some point on this podcast because he's a, he's a fun guy, but he's also full of all kinds of information. Well, speaking of fun guy and full of all kinds of information, how have we gone this long into the podcast without mentioning the game of the week, Jake? Which and is by game of the week. I mean, bountiful at spring. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm sorry. To my, sorry to my red. That's, Devils. A, that's actually a decent game, but no, uh, I don't know about that one, but what will be a decent game. I feel very confident in saying is Bingham at corner Canyon. How about this for the opening three weeks for corner Canyon high school and their first foray into class six, a <laughs> opening the season Thursday night, all alone against reigning for a champion Orem, mm-hmm. then going to Harriman and shutting out the Mustangs 31, nothing before coming home to host the perennial power, the best of the best, cream of the crop being a minors. That is a first three weeks to really begin with, and I think this is the best of the best um, from the Chargers of the bunch. I I would agree with you, but you're right. If Corner King gets past Bingham in this game, Sean, I think we're all looking at the favorite in the state, the best team in the state. Because 100%. Because you've gone and beaten... <laughs> 
the three three of the other heavyweights in the state. I know Lone Peak would have a little bit of a claim to that. Lone Peak actually is going to Southern California to take on uh, Southern California traditional power Narbon in the Moore Park Classic down there in Moore Park, California. Home uh, home of Dennis Pitt, if I'm not mistaken. Didn't he come into Moore Park, the former BYU tight end? He is from Moore Park. Yep. So there you go. So there's a number of games, a lot of out-of-state games this week, Sean. A number of teams going to California, the teams we already talked about, the Idaho games going on. It's going to be a fun week. I think it's going to be interesting to see how teams fare from the state of Utah against out-of-state teams. Normally, traditionally, Utah teams, this is another thing from George Felt, they have won, I think, close to 55% of out-of-state games. Just overall, all the teams in the state of Utah versus out-of-state teams in its history, I think they've got a winning percentage that's over 500. Yeah, and one winning percentage that's not over 500 is the local Provo Derby this week, Provo at Tempview. <laughs> Bulldogs haven't officially won this game on the record in pretty close to 30 years, I think. Your boy's going to break through finally? Tempview coming in with an 0-2 record. Provo's 2-0. I'm rooting for the Bulldogs. I'm just saying... My mom's a bulldog, and she's very proud of about I'm, it. I'm just saying, keep an eye on this one. Hey, my alma mater last week broke their own streak against Timpanogos. I'm a Mountain View alum, and Mountain View beat Timpanogos for the first time in four years. Orem won't play Mountain View this year because of some reasons that will go undiscussed on this podcast. But interesting that I th- – here's the thing, Sean. I'm predicting right now. I'm going to call it right now. Provo does beat Timview. Whoa, hot take alert. Can we put a little siren in here? Yeah, we'll figure something out. <laughs> we'll, put, we'll put it in post-prod. But the Havea brothers down there at Provo, Sean, are legit. Drace and Havea, I don't remember what his younger brother's name is. They are both legit players. And Little little Havea with a nice uh, punt return touchdown correct. last week. I, I forget think. what his name is, but they're, they're going to have a good opportunity here, Sean. I'm calling it right now. Provo beats Timview. All right, we got our first hot take upset alert of week three of the high school football season from Jacob C. Hatch. There you can send all complaints to his burner Twitter account at PK Kenahan, if you will. Absolutely. And uh, let's just go uh, rapid fire with a couple of other games that I really, really like here. Uh, Special shout out to South Summit at Beaver. I know the Wildcats aren't quite what they've been in the past, struggling week one against Milford, which is legit good, not just 1A, 2A good. This game might be over in an hour. These are both teams. Two teams that like to run. Well, yep. South Summit went back to the flexbone like Beaver runs. So this te- this is flexbone on flexbone action, triple option football, and this game is going to be over quick. I'm with you. South Summit's not what they have been the last couple of years. I think Beaver wins. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, until further notice, I'm favoring the Beavers in this one, but South Summit, you never know. And these, I mean, these two teams meet for the state, used to meet for the state title all the time. So there's a little bit of a rivalry there that is developing. (laughs) Um, We mentioned it with Patrick Carr from the Standard Examiner. Thanks again for joining us this week, Patrick. But Ridgeline at Farmington is another one that I'm going to be keeping an eye on. Farmington is really good. And another name you need to know, Wyatt Wyatt Everson, Phoenix quarterback, criminally under-recruited by Division I college programs right now. This kid will be playing on Saturday and soon. Um, Yeah, any other other games that stand out to you, Jake? Uh, Pleasant Grove of Jordan is a little bit of a little bit of a barn burner in my mind. These are two t- programs that can put up points. I think that one could be a fun one. You already mentioned Provo at Tintview. I wanted to mention that. Oh, and I missed another Idaho game, Sean. Rich, they're going across the border to Bear Lake, Idaho. So we have seven Idaho games this week. Look at that go. All right. The and battle for the golden potato commences. <laughs> the battle for the golden t- 
potato. I like it. And then one other one I wanted to mention here, Sean. Uh, I th- this is going to be interesting to see how it goes. But Woods Cross at Brighton. Brighton having a little bit of a resurgence early on this season. We'll see how they do against the Wildcats. Yeah, Brian, sneaky good. Mm-hmm. 2-0 record through the first two weeks of the season. Wins over Fremont, wins over Layton. Kind of establishing establishing themselves after a little bit of an off year mm-hmm. last year. Um, this game against Woods Cross, I mean, some people aren't going to think very much of it, but I think you'll see a little bit more of what will make the Bengals tough to compete once region play starts based on what happens against the Wildcats. And then one more game before we go, because you mentioned the fact that I get sneaky good. West, the Panthers off to a 2-0 start. Big time win last week, an absolute blowout win. Well, they're facing Park City. It's going to be an interesting game there. This is the second time they've only squared off. This comes from George Felt. It's the second time in the history these two programs have squared off. First time since when? 1930. It's been a while. That's a long time. Yeah, so there you go. You were, what, like four years old the last time they squared off? You know me. Child of the 20s over here. You know me. (laughs) All right, Sean, any final thoughts from you, parting wisdom, et cetera, before we go? Week three is upon us, Jake. Thanks Mm -hmm. once again to Patrick Carr from the Standard Examiner. Read all of his fine work at standard.net. And... Let's, let's go get it on. All right. Sounds good. Thanks again for joining us. We are brought to you by John Watson Chevrolet. Check them out in Ogden. We will catch you soon. This has been the Utah Preps.